Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about jurisdiction. And I was talking about jurisdiction in the sense that when you were lost, you were under the jurisdiction of the law. But when you were saved, you became alive to the Lord, you were dead to the world, and you were no longer under the jurisdiction of the law because you effectively became dead to the law. That's what I was explaining in the previous program. And in this program, what I would like to do is talk about this from a bigger picture point of view, from a big picture perspective. In the previous program, I was reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And in verse 4, it says that you might be joined to him, joined to your God. In verse 4, this is Romans chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. In other words, you were joined to him. Now, to be joined to him through salvation and through being dead to the world and alive to your God, to be joined to him means that when you were lost, you were not joined to him. So who were you joined to? Who were you a part of? Who had jurisdiction over you? Well, that was the devil. The devil is someone who we tend to forget about, that there really is a devil in the world. And he is the one who effectively has jurisdiction over the people in the world. Now, the kind of jurisdiction that he has, of course, can be reflected by his ability to involve himself in people's lives and execute punishment against them. He can do that. He has a history of doing that. We have examples of that in the scriptures where he has hurt individuals, that he has personally intervened in the lives of individuals. He has done so. Normally this happens in the context of sin, that an individual sins, and apparently the Lord can use the devil in order to inflict an individual. So the devil has a certain degree of jurisdiction over people in the world. He does. He has the power and the authority to involve himself in other people's lives, to intervene in people's lives, to punish them for things that they do. When you were in the world, when you were born into the world, you were born under the jurisdiction of the devil. You were born into this world, spiritually dead, lost. You were not a part of the kingdom of heaven. You were not a part of God. You were not joined to him. You were not his bride. You were nothing but an instrument, but a tool, but one of the people who the devil has control over, who the devil has jurisdiction over. Now, what gave him this jurisdiction? How did he ever get this kind of power? Who gave him this ability to be able to accomplish this? Well, how you answer that question can depend on your point of view. In this program, what I would like to start with is the point of view that God gave the law. It was when God gave the law that he also gave the devil 
the tool and the power to have jurisdiction over the people that God created. This happened because people decided to embrace the law in their lives. For example, when God gave the commandment to Adam, he told Adam, whatever you do, don't eat from that tree. That was the commandment. The devil was able to use the law so that he could deceive Adam into believing the devil instead of believing God. Adam decided to put himself under the jurisdiction of the devil through the law because of the law. Adam was deceived into believing that if he only knew what was good and evil, then he could be like God. He wouldn't be God, but he could be like him. He could be great. He could be holy. He could be who God created him to be, maybe even better, just because he knew what was good and what was evil. He could do all those things that were good and not do those things that are evil. And then he could be like God. That was the deception. God gave the law, he gave the commandment, and the devil used the commandment to deceive Adam and Eve, and they fell in the Garden of Eden. They died and then became a servant of the devil. They became servants of the devil, and everyone who has been born into this world in the likeness of Adam, because when you're born into this world, you are born spiritually dead, you are born into the kingdom of the devil, and you are under his jurisdiction, and his jurisdiction is enforced by the law through the condemnation that he can exercise against you through the law. The law says that if you do this, you are a sinner. You have sinned. He can use the commandment to say, look, look, you have sinned. He can be the accuser, the accuser in your life, and he can also be an enforcer of the law because it is true. It is real. It is something that the Lord gave. And he can make use of it for his own personal advantage, of course, but still he is making use of it in a legitimate way, in a legitimate context. The living God gave the law, and the devil has been using it to his advantage. He uses it and the jurisdictional powers that he has under it in order to condemn people which enslaves them because they will not turn to their God for his grace and mercy. So if they don't turn to their God for grace and mercy, then what are they going to do? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing they can do. All they can do is continue to exist in the condemnation of the devil. And there are many people... In the world, and there have been many people in the world, and there will continue to be many people in the world who will live their lives, live their lives in a form of bondage because they believe that their God hates them because of some sin they committed. There are many people who live their entire lives this way, and so they can never draw near to their God. This is a very real issue and a very real conflict that I want you to understand in order to recognize that the Lord gave the law, it is being used, but not by the Lord, it is being used by the devil. And when he died for your sins, he by default took away the law from the devil, because while the devil might still be able to convince most of the people that they are still under the law, there are still some who will hear the word of the Lord, who will hear the testimony of the Lord concerning forgiveness, concerning what God has done, And when a person will believe and embrace that truth, it is then that the devil can no longer use the law against them. 
The Lord gave the law and he took it away. He gave the law because mankind died. He took it away in order to resurrect people. It was given to deal with the reasons and the issues concerning the death of humanity. And once those issues were finally resolved through the demonstration that no matter how much good or evil you know, no matter how committed or devoted you might be to repentance and obedience, it does nothing but stir up more sin in your heart, more sin in your life. And once the Lord was obviously satisfied by the thousands of years that were given for people to recognize this truth, then he took it away through dying for the sins of humanity He provided fulfillment for the law's demands so that the law was effectively fulfilled and now has been taken away from those who have been resurrected by the spirit of life and are now joined to their God. They are taken away from the devil through resurrection and belief and trust and faith in what God has said so that they can be joined to the living God instead of being joined to the devil so that now an individual can bear fruit for God. Beforehand, we bore fruit for the devil. And what is this fruit? Well, just look around. It's pretty obvious that the fruit is the manifestation of sin. And how does this sin show up? It shows up because of the law. No matter what law it is, it shows up through law because the law stirs up sin. It stirs up sin through the natural rebellion of humanity. It stirs up sin because it gives people more things to think about doing that they probably never would have thought of before. It stirs up sin through the religious pride that gets manifested within and through an individual when they believe that they have found a way to live in obedience to it. But the main way, the primary way that sin is stirred up in the world, in a person's life, in people's lives, through the law is because it takes people away from the love of God. And when they have been taken away from the love and acceptance of God, they have no alternative but to pursue love and acceptance in the world, which requires you to engage in sin. You have to engage in sin to be loved by the world. You have to engage in sin to be accepted by the world. That is why the law stirs up more sin, because it takes you away from your God and turns you to the world, and you have no alternative if you want to be loved and accepted by the world. You have no alternative but to engage in sin, which is how the law stirs up more sin. So we had to take it away. Take it away so that you could be joined to another. So you bore fruit for the devil once before. But now you can bear fruit to God. Now, what does it mean to bear fruit to God? In the previous program, I spoke about the fruit of God in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, The fruit of the Spirit has been described in a number of places to include Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where he said, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, of course, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of you. It is the fruit of the Spirit. What a lot of people tend to do is they tend to look at this list or this idea of bearing fruit for God, and they begin to write out a list of all the things that they might be able to do in order to bear fruit to God. And included in that list is the list of things that they should stop doing in order to bear fruit for God. So there's this list that people tend to construct of those things that you are not to do and those things that you are to do, and the end result will be love and joy and peace and patience. For example, if you are to love people, well then, what are the things that you have been doing 
that shows that you do not love people. You've got to identify those things, and so you can know what you need to stop doing. And then what are those things that you can do in order to love people? You need to identify those things, and so you can start doing those things. Now, when you have accomplished this, what do you now have? You now have a system of good and evil. You now have a system of law. You have a list of commandments that you are now going to live by. And chances are you extracted them from the Old Testament, you extracted them from the law of God, or you divined them yourself being a spiritual individual, or you acquired these from someone else who is recognized to be a spiritual individual. But regardless of how you managed to construct this list, you still constructed a list. How about joy? How can you have joy? Normally people just skip over that one because it's not easy to construct a list of all those things that you should stop doing so that you can have joy and all of those things you should be doing so that you can have joy. It doesn't seem to fit very well there. The same thing when it comes to peace. How do you, how do you write out a list? How do you write out a set of commandments or laws so that you can have an increase of peace in your life. These are very difficult things to do. And so I have found most people will just skip over those and go to something like patience or kindness or goodness or even faithfulness. They skip over some of these things and they talk about these other things because it's easier to write a list of principles or policies or whatever to follow in order to have patience in your life, to bear patience in your life, to bear the fruit of patience, it's easier to write a list to do that than it is to write a list on how to have joy in your life. Some people do this, of course, but what I want you to understand is that this is another system of law. And what happens when people try that? What happens? Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work out for them. And if you don't believe me, then you need to try it. You need to try it, and then you'll understand what I'm talking about. And if you have tried it, or you are trying it, well, then just keep at it. You keep at it, and make sure that you really commit yourself to it. And I sincerely believe that at that point, it is just a matter of time. It is just a matter of time before you realize that I am telling you the truth. That there is nothing there but death. That is the law. You will fail. You will be condemned. And who will do the condemning? The devil will do the condemning. And he will be very thankful for the privilege of being able to condemn you to further take you away from the love of God. So how will these things be real in your life if it's not through the list? If it's not through the list, then what is he talking about? To bear fruit for God. Again, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Well, how will that happen? Well, the first thing you need to do is remember that you are set free from the law. Continue in verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. This is what I was talking about that the law stirs up more sin and it bears fruit for death. But now, this is verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You have been released from the law. 
But it's still everywhere, in religion especially, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, like I just described. It's just everywhere. So when people read this, when they study this, and they see that you've been released from the law, how do they get through this? I mean, how do they read this and then live by it? Well, people do things like, well, you were released from some of the law, but not all of the law. Or you were released from the religious law, but not the moral law. You were released from their law, but you're not released from my law. That's effectively what they're saying. Again, you're released from their law, but not mine, and so you need to follow mine. But it still leads to death. It will always lead to death. So how is it that you might bear fruit to God as opposed to bearing fruit for the devil? I mean, how does that really happen? Well, let's start with something simple. How about patience? We'll start with patience. Did you know that the Lord is patient with you? If you don't understand, if you don't believe that your God is patient with you, then just talk with him about that for a little while and ask him to show you what it means to say that he is patient with you. Perhaps he'll point out a few of your sins just for this purpose. He'll bring up a few just to show you that he has been very patient with you while you have been struggling with these things. Or he will show you that you are not behaving in a way that he would prefer, that he would like you to behave differently, but you're you're just not getting it right. You're just not doing it. So doesn't that demonstrate as well that he is very patient with you? I am confident that he can show you something about his patience. Now, are you really enjoying that patience? Are you resting in that patience? Do you really trust your God knowing that he will be patient with you? Or do you live your daily life in fear, expecting that one day he's going to run out of patience? He's going to lose his patience with you, and he's just going to really punish you in some way. And he's going to show you in such a way that you will have no doubt in your mind that God has definitely had enough. Is that what you're waiting for? Or do you really believe that he is patient with you, and are you resting and trusting in that? Not as an excuse to continue in sin, but just simply to be at peace concerning this and to be thankful, to live a life of being thankful. Not thankful to be able to engage in sin, but thankful that he will still be with you in the midst of your sin. Those are two completely different things. It's totally different to say, God, thank you. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that you are encouraging me to go out and sin more. There's there's something different between that and saying, Lord, I'm very thankful that even though I still struggle with sin, you are still with me. Those are two completely different ideas concerning thankfulness. I'm talking about the thankfulness that you recognize how merciful he is to you, and you are truly appreciative of that because you know that there would be no way that you would ever possibly be able to grow and mature or experience any relationship with him in any way whatsoever unless he was patient with you, unless he was willing to wait. Not just wait for you to get it right, but wait understanding that you might die physically. In fact, you probably will physically die before you do get it right. If you ever get it right, it won't even matter at that point that it is of no importance because there are other things that are more important. Now, when you recognize how patient he is with you, what happens when others sin against you, when others violate you? Will you have any capacity to be patient with them? Of course you will. You will find it much easier 
to be patient with others when you recognize how patient he is with you. There is an opportunity to take what he has given to you and give that to someone else. And this happens on rare occasions, of course, but it does happen on occasion in people's lives who rest in the patience of God. So what I want you to see concerning bearing fruit for God is that you first must receive Him in your life. You must be joined to Him and you must receive Him and take what He is giving you. That is what you must first do. Otherwise, there's no chance, there's no possibility of bearing fruit for God. But when those circumstances in your life happen... The Lord does a work within your heart to the extent where you are sharing the patience that he has shared with you, you share that with somebody else. It is then that you will see that you have borne fruit for God, of course, only because of the fruit that he gave you, which, of course, is a description of what he has given to you in himself as an individual, as a person. He has given you his patience and you have shared that with somebody else, then you will see the divine transaction and recognize that the fruit that you bore is truly his, not yours, and that there is no opportunity for boasting. Instead, there is an opportunity for revelation. Revelation is the word that I use to describe that when an individual discovers, my goodness, look at what God managed to do. He managed to find some way to reveal himself and my life to someone else. In fact, they don't even realize that it's him, but I do. I realize that, and I am amazed. I am totally amazed that he has revealed himself by revealing himself within and through me in a way that I can see, even though nobody else can, because they don't realize how patient I'm being with them. But I can see that, and now I understand the value of resting in the patience that he has given to me. We can look at all of the fruits of the Spirit in that context. Instead of trying to think about how to conjure up some joy in your life, how about considering the joy that he has for you, that he really does enjoy you? Now, how could this be if you're a sinner? How could this be? Well, it can't be. That's why he made you into a saint. How can this be when he holds your sins against you? Well, he can't really enjoy you when he holds your sins against you. That's why he had to die for your sins. That's why he had to forgive all of your sins so that he could enjoy you. He can enjoy you because he doesn't have to deal with the sin issue in your life anymore. So he can now enjoy you. How is it that he can be at peace with you? Or that you can be at peace with him. How can you conjure up some peace in your heart? You're never going to be able to do that regardless of what kind of a list you compose of the things you're supposed to do or the things you're not supposed to do. Even if you find some way to heavily medicate yourself, you're still not going to experience the peace of God. This is something that you must receive from him. That he, he enjoys you. He is at peace with you. He loves you. Do not even consider how you might be able to manifest these things or bear these fruits for God. You must instead consider how he treats you, how he relates to you. This is a description of the fruit that he is offering you. Are you eating of this? Are you taking of this? 
Are you enjoying this? Is this the source of your life? Is this your nutrition or is it not? Is this what you live by or is it not what you live by? Are you starving inside? Are you starving for love, for joy, for peace, for kindness and goodness? Are you starving for that? It's because you're not eating from the table of the living God. Do so. He has offered all of this to you. There is only one reason why an individual will not take from the table of the Lord. Why they are starving. The only reason why is because they still believe that he holds their sins against them. And the only way that that can be is if they are still holding on to some form of law in their lives. You must die to it. You must. You must die to it so that you can be filled with all that the Lord has for you. Only then will you bear the fruit of God when you are fulfilled. Only then will his fruit be manifested and revealed in your life. There is no other way. So when you go from death to life and salvation, you might be able to bear the fruit of God. But again, only if you will believe, only if you will believe and you will trust and you will live and you will partake of what the Lord has given to you, only then will you know that what he has said is true and that he is real. Only then will the revelation of the living God be manifested within and through you so that you can see him in a way that you can understand that is real for you. In verse 7, this is Romans chapter 7, verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. There is nothing wrong with the law as long as you use the law for the purpose that it was given for. God didn't make a mistake in giving the law. He gave the law for several reasons. The mistake that people are making is that they are believing the devil. They believe the lie of the devil when the devil said that it could be used for a purpose that the Lord did not give it for. It could be used for another purpose, a good purpose maybe. You could be like God, but it wasn't given for those reasons. So you must embrace the law, yes, but embrace it for the purpose and for the reasons that God gave it. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you, man.